millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. He this podcast contains graphic details of child abuse and it may not be suitable for younger audiences. James Fakarudu isn't breathing normally. His eyes won't focus and bruises cover his body. His mother, Tirangi Fakarudu, has to take James to hospital. It's not like she hasn't done that before, though. His four years of life have been filled with at least 40 doctor's visits. A torn penis, pneumonia, a head injury, several busted lips. Tirangi and her boyfriend Benny Hairewa wrap James in a blanket. She bundles him into the car, and just before 8 o'clock on the night of April 4, 1999, they arrive at Hawke's Bay Hospital. James dies 25 minutes later. That same night, Hairewa is arrested and he's later charged with murder. He's already served time in prison for assaulting James once before in 1996. Tirangi is arrested in July. She's charged with assault with a blunt instrument and ill-treating a child. Kia ora. I'm Katie Doyle, and on this episode of Eyewitness, the killing of James Fakaruru. His death was one of New Zealand's first major abuse cases. In the 20 years since, has anything changed? Doug Lang was a journalist in Hawke's Bay when James Fakaruru died. He's older now, but the world hasn't hardened him. You can tell he cares about people. He's lived in Hawke's Bay most of his life and probably knows most of the people who live there too. Homicide stories weren't new for him. He'd been a court reporter for ages. He's covered all kinds of crime. After a while, one just runs into the next. But the story of James? That one won't go away. Life in 1990s Hawke's Bay was pretty hard for some people. Two freezing works, Whakatū and Tōmuan, had closed, leaving thousands out of a job. Entire streets in places like Flaxmere and Marainui lost their income. Teenagers were walking out of school and into winds. Three or four generations in the freezing works, the sons, that was going to be their job when they leave school. Almost expected it as of right, all, all of a sudden, suddenly gutted it. Doug reckons the closures fed into other social problems, like gang warfare, abuse and drugs. Takes a hell of a lot to recover. You had basically kids, young people thrown off the scrappy, really. Their own, their own parents, their own families, really in quite a state of grieving over the loss of their roles in places like the Freezing Works. Riri, or Terangi, James Fakaruru, was born in Hawke's Bay on the 13th of June 1994. His mum, Terangi Fakaruru, was just 15. His dad, Kevin, wasn't on the scene. That relationship had gone south. When James was one, his mum fell in love with a guy called Benny Hairewa. 
One of the first domestic incidents between Hairewa and Tirangi happened at the end of 1995. Then Hairewa turned his attention to James. The following July, James was rushed to the emergency department, covered head to toe in bruises. At some point, James had also been knocked unconscious. Hairewa was charged with injuring with intent, and as part of his bail conditions, he had to stay away from James. But Terangi and Hairewa were in love, they didn't want to be apart, and they saw each other often before he went to prison. A custody battle for James between Terangi and her mother began. Terangi's mother warned Sifs that Hairewa was dangerous and violent, and for a while James was allowed to stay with his grandparents. Hairewa served four months for the assault. He was released in 1997. He and Terangi, who now had full custody of James, picked up their relationship where they left off. They picked up the abuse too. James would get hit with jug cords, he'd get hit with wood and a steel vacuum cleaner pipe. And it wasn't just Hairewa. Tirangi, his mum, joined in too. Once, Hairewa hit James with a hammer because the four-year-old wouldn't call him daddy. Doctors counted more than 140 bruises when he died. In fact, the only part of his little body that wasn't bruised were the soles of his feet. His arm was broken and his intestines were ruptured. Hairewa said he didn't murder James and he was going to vigorously defend that charge, but he never made it to trial. On the second day of his deposition hearing in 1999, Hairewa pled guilty to manslaughter. No one had seen it coming, and it meant that only a handful of journalists were there to hear it. Doug was one of them. I don't think anybody goes out there to, to kill a child, and there's big factors about their own anger issues, how they ever got into that situation, building up those anger issues, where they just simply lose it. Terangi's trial began a month later, in September 1999. But before we get into that, let's have a deeper look at her backstory. The first thing you need to know is that the Whakaruru family was well known to child services. In fact, since 1965, the family had interacted with the department six times. And while Hairewa was the main abuser for James, Terangi also played a part. She would, in her words, discipline the four-year-old with the steel vacuum cleaner pipe and jug cord. Tirangi later told police that she was too scared to stop Hairewa beating James in case they got worse or he turned on her. She never reported the abuse because she was worried about losing her son. Tirangi was distraught at trial. I can only say I saw her grief-stricken the whole, whole time, just never able really to, to sort the situation herself. Didn't appear from anything that I saw to sort of have even a lot of friends around. I could be entirely wrong in, in that respect. Um, yeah, again, it's a situation of a young mum where things have just probably probably got worse and worse and worse. I've seen it many times since a mum's in her situation, and there's just you know the whole, whole uh, what would you call it, the whole dream, anything else, the aspirations have gone out the window at a very young age. When all was said and done, Hairewa was sentenced to 12 years in prison for manslaughter. Tirangi got two years suspended and two years of supervision. Doug went back to work, but he never forgot Tirangi. Yeah, I often wonder what uh, Tirangi's done over the years, to all intents and purposes, and don't blame her at all, disappearing from the limelight. It still makes him angry how badly Tirangi was let down by the system. These things just still happen, and uh, myself, I don't blame the individuals involved 
at all. There's a system there that is just really grist for the grill, as they say, or mill, grist for the mill, isn't it? <laughs> in June 2000, the Office of the Children's Commissioner released a damning report about James' death. It said police, corrections, social workers, doctors and midwives had all known about James, but awful communication between agencies meant the abuse had been missed. The current Children's Commissioner, Andrew Beecroft, was a young district court judge when that report came out. He was holding the report in his hands when I interviewed him. I guess it felt deeply distressing and concerning with so many if-onlys. It was like unpacking, as I see someone wrote, sort of a disaster scenario where everything that could have gone wrong had gone wrong. The Labour government vowed to improve the way agencies shared information with each other, most centred around the then child, youth and family, fostering open lines of communication with corrections, police, Plunkett, the courts and doctors. Change was in the air, but it soon fell down. A jury has been told that the Kahui twins were so badly injured nothing could have been done to save them. The Crown has opened its case against the twins' father, 23-year-old Chris Kahui, who's accused of murdering the three-month-old twin boys in their home in June 2006. The Crown has outlined a catalogue of abuses it says was suffered by Nia Glassie in the weeks leading up to the three-year-old's death in August last year. Five people face a collective 22 charges, including murder, manslaughter, willful ill-treatment and assault. Moko Rangi Tohiriri was meant to be starting school this year. Instead, he died a horrible, painful death at the hands of the very people charged with looking after him. We said in a submission in that inquest there were sufficient eyes and ears into Moko's circumstances and care at various stages, yet the eyes did not see and the ears did not hear, nor did they trigger proper investigation about his real position. Now, that bears a striking resemblance to the conclusions of the Children's Commissioner in 2000. Each time, it seems people cry, never again, not one more child. Surprisingly, nothing much changes. There are more than 100,000 family harm incidents a year, and those are just the ones that get reported. One incident every four minutes, a child killed every five weeks. So when does it end? We should always be saying never again. If we don't say that in these circumstances, then somewhere our very humanity and our very essence of our compassion and proper emotional response is faulty. But you ask, why does it keep happening? That is one of the deep mysteries in New Zealand. A wider question is why do we have continuing high rates of youth suicide, of inter-family violence, partner violence, high rates of reported bullying, the highest recorded bullying rates in the Western world. These are all interrelated. We have high rates of, I guess, family disadvantage and child poverty. Not that I say that is causative, but it does increase the risk significantly. So there are some structural issues at play, but I'm clear that children are treasures and those who bring them into the world have the first and primary responsibility with their wider family to provide proper care and nourishment. Heaven help us if we ever flinch from that starting point. 
know, being a parent's the most important job in the world. Benny Hairewa was released from prison in 2010 after serving his full sentence. Earlier this year, he appeared in court, where he pleaded guilty to 11 violence and sexual violence charges committed between 2015 and 2017. James Fakaruru is gone, but he's not forgotten. There's a famous photo of him wearing a black long-sleeved top, arms stretched out leaning against a wooden fence. He's got a cheeky look on his face, a slight grin like he's about to do something he probably shouldn't. It's a happy moment in a painful life. A life that's now remembered on his gravestone as the inspiration for a nation to cherish children. This episode of Eyewitness was produced by me, Katie Doyle, and the engineer was Jeremy Veal. Justin Gregory runs Eyewitness for RNZ, and Tim Watkin is the executive producer of podcasts and series. You can subscribe to Eyewitness and every other RNZ podcast at Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, Radio Public, Podbean, and of course at rnz.co.nz. And please give us a rating, that way other people get to hear about these stories. Matewa. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.